You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Uh, hello, hello. Jacob, it's been so long since I've had you on the podcast. I'm so happy that you could uh, carve out a little bit of time to join. It's so great to hear your voice again. How are you doing? I'm very busy. I'm very important. I have no time for podcasts anymore. <laughs> um, I, I say that as a person who's on several podcasts now. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you just started uh, another podcast. That's a good transition into what you've been doing recently. Yeah. Um, I don't know who, who cares or who would be interested, but... A few months ago, uh, friends of SlashFilm.com, Eric Vespi, who writes for Sight, and uh, Scott Wampler, who used to work with us, uh, their main project is The KingCast, a Stephen King-focused podcast where they discuss adaptations of Stephen King and his books uh, with celebrity guests. And for a bonus episode, they asked if I could do a a Stephen King-themed RPG session uh, where we just did a sort of a a horror special with them and a special guest. And... Uh, it went over so well that we ended up doing five episodes, five monthly episodes of what became Shelbyville, a Stephen King-tinged horror comedy uh, RPG actual play. For those of you who don't know, RPG role-playing games are like you know dice-driven you know character character games where you tell a story, where like you know you fight monsters, you make decisions in character, you improvise. It ends up being like a big old radio play where the story is decided by you know dice rolls. 
uh, an actual podcast are very popular. There's a lot of them, but uh, there's not enough because if you ask me, there hasn't been a really, really good horror one out there. And it went over well enough that um, we're more is happening. Uh, if you go to the main KingCast feed, the first four episodes are available there. The season finale, episode five, is currently an exclusive to their Patreon, but I'll say if you wait a little longer, you will be able to listen to it. And that season finale does have a special guest star in Elijah Wood, who joined us for, for an adventure. Nice. Uh, so there's, there's a celebrity hook there. But we're in the midst of recording season two of what will hopefully be a ongoing thing. So if you are interested in... Also, going forward, it'll be more just horror theme instead of being all Stephen King-related not stuff, even though there will be a, a King influence going forward. Uh, the idea is just to have a really fun, very funny very wild horror RPG uh, run by me with some very, very talented um, players and the occasional major um, or not so major guest star popping in. (laughs) Well, I will definitely drop a link to that in the show notes. Before we move on from that though, Jacob, I have to ask you like the idea of a, a King tinged RPG thing. And you are the person who's sort of like running the show, right? Like you're the equivalent of the, of the dungeon master here. Um, that seems like a lot of pressure on you to come up with this, a story that is worthy of the king, you know, to being like king adjacent, is it not? It, it is, and that's it's set in small town Maine. It's full of monsters. Main characters are, you know, uh, 14-year-old kids who uncover a sinister plot in their cursed town. Uh, and uh, so what, I, what I did is that I asked each player before we started the first session, hey, send me three things you think are that uh, are Stephen King related that you think need to be a Stephen King story. Mm. And they range from, um, you know, things happening in the sewers to a haunted house to um, <laughs> lines of dialogue. And so I just use those to inform my story. The story is very much a um, thing I, I kind of cooked up on my own. And then I, I, I peppered in the King flavor and going nice. forward, the, the, the plan for future seasons and episodes will be like, you know, Hey, send me, you know, horror stuff. Like if we ever do like a, a more Lovecraft theme season or, you know, God help me a Dean Koontz season, <laughs> we, will, uh, we will sort of pepper it in. The, the idea is that, um, I mean, the first season is very much hard in Stephen King, but I think you can still enjoy it. If you don't, if you don't know King, you just gotta, you know, uh, like horror and like nonsense and like, <laughs> and, and like players, me and like players trampling on my, uh, my, my well-made plans, which is, uh, if you've ever, if you ever run an RPG, you know that, you make a plan, and you, and if you try to stick to that plan, uh, your players will find a way around it. They will always find a way to blow up the door you want them to unlock. So. <laughs> yes, that sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, so what have you been reading uh, recently, Jacob? I haven't really been reading much. I'm, I'm midway through a book, but I want to save that until I, I finish it before I talk about it. Uh, speaking of uh, horror stories, uh, Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. Uh, I know it's now in uh, FX miniseries, but... A number of people I spoke to say the miniseries doesn't quite capture what made the book so powerful and upsetting. So I decided to read the book first before I check out the, the TV series, and uh, I'm glad I did. It's a uh, uh, very upsetting combination of history and true crime. Uh, ben, are you familiar with this story at all? So I've watched the first two episodes of the show, so I'm vaguely familiar uh, on, on that front, but I've never actually read the book. Uh, how much of the show is flashbacks to the 1800s? Uh, a considerable amount in in the uh, the first couple episodes. Anyway, I, I started watching the first two like right when it dropped, and then got so busy watching Stranger Things, which I'll talk about in a little bit, and like several other things that the show has just completely slid to the very far back burner. But I think from what I've heard about the rest of the season, it does a decent job of actually weaving pretty well through uh, different time periods and and sort of um, yeah, providing a lot of um, explanations of like the origins of the um 
of the faith and everything, you know? Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Under the Banner of Heaven is a, the book uh, tells a parallel story of the creation of Mormonism in the United States and a series of grisly murders committed by fundamentalist Mormons in the 1980s uh, in Utah. And the book is about 50-50 between, telling these two stories, switching between uh, Joseph Smith in the 1830s the, you know, and his followers beyond that and the uh, uh, radicals driven to literal murder uh, by these, by literally the teachings and writings of the founders of the religion. And I'm not a religious person. And I apologize for people who are listening who may take offense by me even remotely talking about this subject matter. But the book is very clearly and soberly laying out how a group of con artists who wanted to have sex with teenagers in the 1830s create a foundation for people 150 years later to commit murder in the name of God. And it, uh, Mormonism was, was founded in an era of, of the, the printing press, an era where people were watching and writing things down. So you would find you know similar stories about every major world religion uh, of hedonism and genuine evil being used to prop up you know fundamentalist ideals. Mm-hmm. But um, but because John Krakauer, being the journalist that he is, has access to newspaper articles and lawsuits and diaries, stuff that's, that's, that's well out there and exists, he's able to really trace how how fundamentalism is born out of out of any religion. And I found, I'm finding this book, I have, I have like 50 pages left in it, uh, to be profoundly chilling. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not a religious person, and I know a lot of people who are religious, and I believe you should practice how you want to as long as you hurt other people. But the book makes a strong argument that uh, organized religion, uh, by its very nature, is built to help people have excuses to harm people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want a very upsetting read, <laughs> uh, I, I can recommend Under the Banner of Heaven. Does the show capture that vibe so far, Ben? Uh, it does. I mean, I, I really wish I would have been able to to talk to you with like the full knowledge of the entire show under my belt. But um, but yeah, it, it definitely sounds like from what you're saying, that is the the vibe that I got from the first two episodes. So I, I hope the show is actually worthy of um, of all of its episodes and actually doesn't like drop off in quality too much because I, I thought that it does a good job. And there's a really good cast in that show, too. I think, you know, it's a, it's a little slow, um, but I think uh, I think it's good. And I think you'll probably enjoy it a lot more having the the backbone, the foundation of that book, um, you know, in, in your back pocket. Yeah. I, mean, I guess my main concern was that they made it into a detective story. Like the Andrew Garfield character in the show is uh, a, a composite character. It doesn't, doesn't exist in the real narrative. And the book is really not a detective story at all. It really is from the POV of the people committing the crimes. There is no mm-hmm. like protagonist out there to save the day. So when I heard that, I was like, Hmm, I don't know how I felt about that. So I'm kind of curious to see how they structure that. Yeah, I think it's like Andrew Garfield's character is like a, um, I guess you would call him like a moderate Mormon, like somebody who hasn't really done a lot of uh, excavation into the details of the origins of the faith. And he seems like a good um, figure for other characters to bounce information off of and like deliver exposition to about the history. Like he seems like a good vessel to receive that information and sort of serve as like the, um, the audience surrogate in that way. So um, it, it doesn't strike me as like too obnoxious, a, a conceit to create a character like that because he sort of serves multiple functions in the show. So um, yeah, uh, under the bender of heaven uh, is on FX right now. And the book is by John Krakauer. I assume you can find it. Yeah, wherever who, who, books are read and sold. <laughs> and those of you who uh, John Krakauer also wrote, um, uh, uh, Into Thin Air, which became the basis for the movie Everest, and he wrote uh, Into the Wild, which became the movie Into the Wild. So 
if you want to complete the John Krakauer trilogy of adaptations, there you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jacob, you and I have seen a movie, and not just any movie, Jacob. We've seen RRR, this incredible movie that HD talked about on the podcast uh, recently. And uh, I wrote in the notes here that we've seen this movie and will never be the same. I genuinely feel that way. I kind of feel like there is a life before RRR and life after. <laughs> what, what was your reaction to this film? I saw this in theaters. And those of you who maybe missed the previous episode, it is a three-hour-long uh, Indian epic uh, that has maybe one tiny toe in history and the rest in Fast and the Furious world. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> kind of suggesting, what if these two real-life Indian revolutionary figures from the 1920s, uh, who did not know each other in real life, knew each other, became absolute best friends, and then destroyed the British Empire? <laughs> <laughs> in 1920s equivalent of Fast and Furious style action, uh, Ben, I know you're a big Fast and Furious fan. So I don't want I don't want to crap on Fast and Furious here when I say this. So please take this a grain of salt. <laughs> but when I say that this is the movie Vin Diesel always thinks he's making when he describes a Fast and Furious movie, in that it has outrageous action, but the emotional beats and the brotherhood stuff actually land in a real emotional way am i being accurate uh you know i i had the exact same thought um as a huge fan of the fast and furious franchise like the the um the sort of like family overtones of of the the fast and furious franchise are translated and captured so well here and the action is so similar in terms of just like complete uh you know like gleeful uh, ludicrousness, like just complete nonsense action, but in the best way, the kind of like fist pumping. Um, I can't believe they're actually doing this kind of thing that like, I don't get that feeling very often when I'm watching Hollywood action movies, the fast and furious franchise is one of the few that actually delivers that to me. Um, but I think without Paul Walker, I think, I think the movies with Paul Walker, um, specifically, uh, fast five and, and maybe, maybe six and and a little bit of seven because of paul walker's only like you know somewhat involvement in that since he died halfway through the production those movies capture the that family feeling after that it it, you know the the franchise as a whole has really lost a step without paul walker in my view but rrr goes back to that core of like it you really do just feel like these guys are true like genuine best friends who are who are really hanging out and like their um their mutual respect and and love for each other shines through on the screen in a really glorious way so yeah like all of the you know there there were actually moments in this where during the action scenes i was kind of like fast and furious wishes it could do this and i say that again (laughs) as like a huge fan of of those movies so uh man i I was just like (laughs) i was sort of bowled over by our yeah. I don't want to describe the action because I managed to see it, see it without seeing any trailers, so I don't know what's, what's out there. Yeah, same. But but there is there's an action beat toward the middle. Sorry, one at the beginning, one at the middle, and, and like a long one at the end, like a 45 minute long action sequence that like closes up the movie. And I saw it in a theater. I saw it when they brought it back in the theaters. For instance, they're extending the run of it uh, in some cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, my audience was screaming, people on their feet, cheering, hollering, hooting, uh, applauding, like people, like just very like the, the i mean it's certainly a film geek audience it's a, it's a sold out show of a three hour long indian film so clearly it's not going to be you know casuals who didn't know what they were in for in some level but um everybody lost their damn minds ben uh, i've <laughs> i've never heard a, a, a screening where people applauded so many times where we're cheering so often and she got the right moment like, nobody's making fun of the movie people were, were in were in this movie uh and it's not just the action scenes like there are there's like 
it's like uh so many great scenes of like bromance there's a dance off sequence there's musical numbers there's like oh, historical yeah. historical tragedies happening uh it is a movie like you often hear about how like indian movies especially these 3 hour long ones are designed you know to appeal to the whole family to like justify a family going you know out for the whole day to the theater they spend the whole day there they get a movie that has like action and romance and comedy and musical numbers everybody in the family has something to to enjoy and that that's like a recipe that should be disastrous when you think about it like from a Hollywood POV we want things to be consistent but somehow the the chaos of RRR never feels like chaos it feels like a kind of weird glorious magic and I don't yep. know how else to describe this movie yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I think the the character introductions, like everything about this just works. There's there's something like, uh, yeah, like exactly what you're saying. Like, God forbid Hollywood ever try to remake this or anything because there's just something to the purity with which all of these ideas are executed and like the the um, bombastic quality and like the, the go for it-ness that, <laughs> that this film has. And like, everything about it just just clicks into place in such a perfect way like the the two uh lead characters their introductions um maybe one slightly more than the other are like some of my favorite character introductions ever in any movie it's just like incredible stuff uh and again i don't want to get too much into details because i really want people to watch these movies and like we said on uh, i think it was last week's episode there's a version of this movie streaming on netflix right right now that is not in the the originally recorded language so you can watch it that way that's how i watched it i didn't go to see it in the theater um and of course i wish it was in like the the proper language and i saw it under like ideal circumstances but like um you know it, that's just a, a calculation that everybody's gonna have to make uh, on their own but um yes i, I would also say like if this movie is playing in a theater near you, go see it in a theater because it, it is it hundred percent like earns that uh, the theatrical experience and like the the um, just the, the insanity that that you'll see in this movie. Uh, you won't regret seeing it in a theater. I think. Yeah, uh, I, I know that since they're expanding it more, like it was originally announced as a one night only return thing, but there already are more screenings popping up uh, in, in the wake of this one night only event. I may have to go see it again. Um, the, <laughs> the last time I felt this, Ben, was when I saw the film Love Exposure uh, over 10 years ago at a Riptoy screening, which is a four-hour Japanese uh, action, comedy, perverted drama about religion and wow, samurai swords. need to check this and out. It's great. It's, uh, it's uh, a really terrific movie, and it's a lot. And I remember how um, watching the movie, I kind of emerged from the theater in a haze going, did I really spend four hours for like 90 minutes? <laughs> and I, I feel a very similar thing about RR, where like I emerged from the theater going like, I don't I don't know what just happened to me, but I'm very glad it did. <laughs> Incredible. Okay, uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot more about you know to say about this movie, especially as we get into like our end of the year conversation, because I think Chris said it's his number one of the movie, number one movie of the year so far. Uh, it's definitely going to be up there for me, and I know that we're going to have so many moments from this movie to uh, to highlight during our, our big like best movie. Every movie. scene is a moment for our, for our end of year list. I, I couldn't be really tough to narrow I, down. Can we just stay to the last forty five minutes? Just make that <laughs> make that the moment. <laughs> we might have to do some crazy carve outs or something to uh, to um, accommodate all of our love for this movie because i know ht is a big fan of it as well so uh i look forward to talking with you guys more about this and, and i look forward to our listeners uh checking this movie out because it's <laughs> man it is uh yeah one of the best movie going experiences i've had in a long time even though i watched it from my couch so uh jacob what else have you been watching 
I want to recommend uh, two TV shows. Uh, one that I am very late to. Uh, I Flying Cop with Peacemaker, the James Gunn HBO Max show that's a spinoff from The Suicide Squad. And I, I, it's not that I, I didn't want to watch it. It's that the nature of my job means that sometimes I have to be very picky and choosy about what I watch. Because if I have you know, a team of writers working on Peacemaker, I need to make sure I have my my sights on something else so I can make sure that's getting the proper attention. And Peacemaker was going to slash them covered extensively. So I was... um. I'm going to force a position to be like, I'll get to this later. And later turned out to be uh, now. Uh, I'm almost done with it. I have one episode left as I'm recording this. And uh, Ben, uh, Peacemaker is the best thing James Gunn has ever done. Man, I'm I'm excited to hear that. I watched the first episode and then fell off of it because th- this year has just been insane in terms of content. And I think that when did the show even come out? Was it early this year or was it? Yeah, I want to say February. Okay, I think that's right. Yeah, um, I've just like you know i've been trying to finish the sopranos for what seems like six months jacob and it's just like i get one episode in one episode closer to the end and then a new show drops that i have to like watch for work or something and i'm like it just keeps kicking the can further and further down the road so that's what kind of what happened with peacemaker just again got bumped to the back burner but uh if you're saying it's the best thing james gunn has ever done this may have to like leapfrog several things in my order and and i need to finally get around to checking this out it genuinely feels like the area where all those quirks, all those loves, and all those demons are present. Uh, this is not just a guy who made Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy. This is the guy who made Slither and uh, Super and his filthy early work. But it also has that weird big heart that I think is present in his big movies. Because mm-hmm. uh, Peacemaker, you know, the villain from, from the Suicide Squad, once again played by John Cena, uh, is really really evolves here into being no longer just a satiric look at like a jingoistic American you know, uh, killer but a guy who is genuinely trying to do better has emerged from a near death situation as seen at the end of the suicide squad and has taken stock of his life and has made the call. I'm going to try to be a better person, but he does, he's, but he has absolutely no idea how to do that. He's a product <laughs> of the environment. He's a product of a white supremacist father played by, played by Robert Patrick, who's really, really good here. And it's just, a, it reminds me more of uh, Eastbound and down in vice principles for the, the Jody Hill HBO shows uh, more mm-hmm. than it does, uh, you know, another superhero show because there is superhero action, but most of the show is a like really long, hard look at, you know, the broken American male and how do we fix this? And <laughs> John Cena, I, I, I don't want to crap on Dwayne Johnson, who, who I do enjoy, but Dwayne Johnson as, 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 as an actor is so incredibly obsessed with image, with mm-hmm. how do I look as good as possible? How do I make sure that everything I'm doing is perfect? I need to make sure that nothing about me uh, ever looks out of place and that's what he does well and all power to him go make more go make red notice too i won't watch it but john (laughs) cena is so raw and so free of vanity and so willing to humiliate himself and peacemaker ends up emerging as this broken tragic hilarious character who i'm deeply powerfully in love with and i'm I'm just rooting for him to get better i need this guy to get better because i'm so invested in him and john cena is incredible uh him and dave batista are increasingly two actors who you know, have emerged in the world of wrestling to be put themselves as guys who are genuinely interesting in what it means to be an actor. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, John Cena's been really funny before and like really, really um, entertaining. Uh, but he's asked to do stuff in Peacemaker that I don't think any other director has asked of him before. And James Gunn, who wrote all the episodes and directed half of them, uh, really lets John Cena like re- reveal the actor inside of him. And yeah, I, I'm completely on board with the show, with this cast, with the soundtrack. I deeply love Peacemaker and I regret putting it off for so long. Man. Okay. Well, yep. You've, you've fully convinced me. I need to 
kick this up on my watch list. So that's streaming on HBO Max right now. Uh, what else have you been watching, Jacob? Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. If you listen to my other podcast with HT, uh, Trek in Time and Space, where we talk about Star Trek and Doctor Who, uh, you've heard me talk at length about this show, possibly. <laughs> we, we dedicated an entire episode to it. But uh, Ben, what if, what if it said that Star Trek Strange New Worlds was the best Star Trek in 30 years? Uh, that would be pretty impressive because there's been a lot of Star Trek. Well, maybe, maybe closer to 25 years because Deep Space Nine was technically within a 30 year gap. Okay. Uh, but, but this I've seen the, I've seen the first five episodes. Uh, I saw them you know a few weeks ago for work, and fit, the fifth episode just premiered on Paramount Plus today as I'm recording this. But this is phenomenal Star Trek. I mean, modern Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Discovery, and Star Trek Picard real mixed bags fandom seems to really be down on them i like them more than most but they're incredibly flawed and frustrating or a strange new world which is technically a prequel series it's about uh, captain pike the captain of the enterprise before kirk who we saw original series who was played by um bruce greenwood in the uh jj abrams movies he played by anson mount but his crew before kirk which includes you know a younger spock and uh a younger hura and characters we've seen from original series but also uh New characters as well. And the great joy of the show is I love all these characters, Ben. Uh, hmm. the w- by episode five, I am so invested in their stories and their dynamic. And I want to see them go on adventures. And unlike other Star Trek shows in the past few years, which are heavily, heavily serialized to tell one long movie over the course of 10 episodes, Stranger Worlds is standalones. Each episode is a very classic Star Trek episode. There's a problem, the crew investigates, and they solve it. And when the credits roll, they're on to the next adventure. And this means that Episode four can be a uh, hour long, you know, submarine battle in space. Episode five can be a wacky shore leave episode. Episode two can be a um, a uh, a scientific exploration episode. Episode one is a, is a story about diplomacy. Uh, they're they're one off stories, and that's how Star Trek has always been at its best, which is telling stories one at a time that address specific science fiction or you know ethical or moral ideas. And Strange New Worlds does that in a way that's really funny, really charming, and really exciting. Uh, episode four in particular is genuinely intense and one of the more intense episodes of Star Trek ever made. Uh, since mm. uh, and also people keep asking me, can I watch Strange New Worlds without seeing any Star Trek? And there are a handful of like threads that picked up from Star Trek Discovery, of which this is a, a spinoff from. But they're dismissed pretty pretty cleanly in the first episode. And they kind of lay the groundwork for what you do need to know pretty well. Uh if you are remotely interested in Star Trek, this is a great place to start. And I am deeply in love with this show and it brings me joy on a weekly basis. It is, it's, it's, it's a mistake to say it's nostalgic because even though it has Easter eggs and references and it is clearly indebted to older Star Trek and its structure, it is not being a show that's made just for fans of the, point at the various little references Mm -hmm. it is a show that is as welcoming and open and fresh as any show i've seen in a while um this is a show that i think could make a lot of new star trek fans while making all of us old fans happy i love this show ben man that's great i mean yeah it sounds like a true throwback so um you know it the idea of like uh reverting to the that formula of like you know adventure of the week kind of thing um, I feel like that shouldn't feel revolutionary, but it kind of does here from what you're saying, which is like, you know, how long did it really take them to just understand that, oh, we should get back to basics on this. <laughs> and like this show seems like a, the perfect execution of, of sort of the old school 
uh, model, but in uh, in the, in a modern context or whatever. So yeah, literally every season of Star Trek Discovery, a show I I, I do like with, with huge caveats, is oh my god, a world, a, a galaxy, universe-ending threat, um, tackle over ten episodes. And every season of Picard is oh my god, a galaxy-ending threat, tackle over ten episodes. This one is is like okay, they're just gonna solve one problem, and it's gonna be. What's at stake? Literally everything. Okay, yeah. Whereas this, the, the stakes in Star Trek: New Worlds are these characters you care about, or a single planet, or or, or a single idea, uh, and the, and be, I think we're just so bored by stakes that are so huge you can't yeah. comprehend it. Where Strange Worlds is interested in a starship crew going through space, solving solving problems and, and solving them on scales both as big as a planet in the path of a comet that needs, we need to, you know, revert this comet or as small as um, I'm trying to enjoy my shore leave, but things are going wrong. So it's, <laughs> I, I love it. I'm sorry. I've gone way too long in Star Trek. No, no, that's great. I mean, it really sounds like Hollywood should take uh, some lessons from this show in, in the like blockbuster entertainment that, you know, you and I love and talk about so much. Um, I think that's a big complaint that we've had. It's just, everything always feels uh, dialed up to to eleven at all times, and then if everything's at eleven, nothing's at an eleven. So um, the idea of uh, of of scaling it back and, and sort of making the stakes more personal and, and a little bit smaller is actually like an effective zag, you know, um, in a world full of zigs. So um, uh, yeah, also, Anson great. Mount is Captain Pike, uh, probably the hottest man alive. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I know that this is me just being inappropriate but i can't remember the last time there's been a more attractive lead on a tv show and everybody on the show is attractive like it's very much a show that, 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 that widely puts very attractive people in strathlet uniforms and lets them do their thing uh but God, damn anson anson mount in his star trek uniform can get it excellent all right well that's good stuff so that's on paramount plus yes along with uh, every other star trek thing i think yeah uh, slowly everything star trek slowly leaving amazon and netflix one show at a time and they're all Hating Paramount Plus, which honestly, it's I I would not tell people to pay for Paramount Plus for Picard or Discovery, only for super fans only. But I, I I I will actively subscribe to Paramount Plus for as long as they have Star Trek's library, but more importantly, Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks is in there too, and that's pretty yeah. Cool. We haven't talked about Lower Decks. Lower Decks is phenomenal. But Lower Decks is uh its own thing, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's so, Lower Decks is great. Uh, that's all. I know. When I talk about modern Trek being hit and miss. I, fandom has really embraced. Lower decks, which is also a reason to pay for Paramount Plus. Yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, so just a couple things that I wanted to mention. First off, really quickly, um, I watched uh, the inside outtakes from Bo Burnham. Jacob, did you? I don't remember. Did, did you watch Bo Burnham Inside? Have you I was seen in, that yet? I was in too much pain to do it, and I think I may okay. still be. I know people found it cathartic. But I, I just could not emotionally bring myself to watch it based on the subject matter. <sighs> Man, yeah. I mean, I I fully understand that, and uh, and maybe like wait a little bit longer if you're still feeling that way. Um, but it is like one of the most incredible. I mean, it was on on my top ten movies of, of the year last year. That's how much I loved it, and uh, it's just like an absolutely incredible pe- like feat of filmmaking. I've talked about it before, but uh, Bo Burnham released a uh, like an hour plus long YouTube video of. Uh, alternate takes and a bunch of deleted scenes and things like that. Um, some of it, I mean, I understand watching this, why a lot of the stuff was deleted. It's just like not quite up to par, but it's really fascinating to, to see all the stuff. It's almost like watching, like the way that Bo Burnham presented this information is almost, almost feels like he's letting you into the editing bay where like 
you were able to see um, all of this stuff just sort of sprawled out and seeing what he didn't put in there made you makes me anyway appreciate what he did choose to to include in the original special and sort of how um you know because there's actually some good stuff in here it's not just like oh garbage it's clear that this stuff is way worse uh qualitatively speaking than you know than anything in uh inside it's actually there's there is some really really good stuff in here um but you can just tell that like it didn't fit with the flow or the vibe or you could tell that it would sort of feel like squeezed in and and maybe just not quite work perfectly i I really think inside is like a uh a straight up masterpiece and and um it's a a perfect object as it is um so i was happy to sort of return to that world and get a little bit more even though this stuff is is um i don't know (laughs) it's almost like non-canonical or something if you want to think about it in like broken brain uh 2022 internet mind um but uh, but yeah, it, it's just like a good uh, insight into you know his his mindset as as he was uh, creating this whole thing, um, and it's definitely worth checking out if you're like a huge fan of Inside because you get some alternate versions of the the songs and um, just looks into like how many takes he did of certain things, and uh, it's all very um, illuminating and enlightening. So I, I really enjoyed uh, spending the time of, of watching this video, uh, which is on YouTube right now. And then I also watched all of Stranger Things uh, season four, volume one, all seven episodes came out this past Friday. Um, we've had a ton of great stuff on SlashFilm.com. So I encourage people, if you've watched up, if you've you know, caught up with the show uh, and you want to read some great uh, uh, content about it, there's a lot there. Um, so uh, I'll try to maybe link to a couple pieces in the in the show notes. But um, yeah, there, there's a, a lot there. So uh, Jacob, are you, man, it's been so many years since Stranger Things came out. I don't even remember the last time you and I talked about it. Where are you in your Stranger Things journey? Is this a show that you've tapped into? I don't don't even recall. I have seen Stranger Things season one. Okay. And then, okay. And then the, the reaction to Stranger Things season two convinced me to not watch more Stranger Things. And I almost wish I was I was where you are because I really loved season one and and disliked season two a lot. So I think I was probably one of those voices like <laughs> convincing you to to not uh, continue on. But um, what have you seen and heard about seasons three and four? Are you uh, are you changing your mind at all? What do you think? I remember people really like in my my experience, just from my bubble of people, workplace and beyond. Season three was really good, and season four is extremely frustrating, uh, with maybe <laughs> some really good highlights. Is what I've been is what, is what I've gathered. That's exactly my experience. Yes, uh, I loved season three. I thought it was a great sort of return to form after a, a big dip in quality in season two, and then season four, this this newest season, um, I was like really i hated the show after or the season anyway after like the first few episodes of this new season because it is so um interminable like the the uh character interactions the dialogue the show clearly thinks a lot of the stuff that that it's doing is really funny and entertaining and it's just not to me uh it's as simple as that like it just does not work it's flat it's just everything falls flat on its face uh, a lot of the characters are spread off in different directions and like the show continually bounces back and forth between all these different storylines. The editing is like all over the place. The tone is not good. The The storyline is like, to- I mean, multiple storylines are fully derivative. Like there is almost no original material in here whatsoever. And I know that's kind of like the the whole thing with 
Stranger Things, the the aesthetic, the uh, the sort of Stephen King esque vibe that it's going for, all that the Amblinish nature, the entire thing is built on this idea of we're just riffing on eighties pop culture again. Um, but this season, I think, is like the worst in terms of uh, just taking one idea where you know that that should be resolved over the course of let's say two episodes and dragging it out into six or seven episodes where every time it returns to multiple different plot lines i'm just like jesus christ again with this like can we just move on like get the pacing like somebody speed this thing up and it Isn't makes each it episode worse. like 90 minutes long yeah that's what i was gonna say it makes it worse because like the the episodes are all not all of them but many of them are over an hour um, I think actually all of them are over an hour and it's, some of them are like, yeah, an hour 20 or something. Uh, one of them I think is at least is, is like an hour and a half, maybe an hour 38 or something like that. And it's just like this stuff, this, this feels like nobody told the Duffer brothers no. And, and Netflix was just like, yeah, you're one of our biggest shows. So literally do whatever you want. Um, which is like, th- there is some good stuff in here. The, 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 um, I guess the bones of it are good, but uh, they're stretched so thin that it just feels um, incredibly frustrating to watch. The only good thing I will say is that the show gets a lot better. The season gets a lot better as it goes on. So I really was in a, a position of like full on hating it after, you know, episode two of season four and thinking like, I may just tap out, even though I'm supposed to watch this for work. I may just like tap out and never watch any of this again. I know they're doing a season, a second volume of season four coming up in July, I think, and then one more season after that. And so I'm pot committed, right? I've, I've spent all of this time watching this show up to this point. I should just be able to finish this out. But I hated those first two episodes so much that I was like, maybe I'm just going to cut ties and, and give up on this altogether. But I'm glad I stuck with it because it actually does get better as it goes along. Um, but man, I, I just I don't have a lot of great things to say about the show because I'm the frustrations that I felt in the beginning of it were so intense that um, it's tough to come back from that. And I don't think the show fully got there. I think it maybe got me back to like almost got me back to even uh, by the the time that the credits rolled in the final episode of this volume. So um, with with a lot of the nonsense in this season behind us now, I am actually looking forward to the second volume, which is going to be, I think, only two episodes, but one of them is like two hours or two and a half hours or something wild like that. Um, just, so make I am actually, just make a movie. Just make a movie. You're making make, make 16 episode seasons. I don't. Yeah. I think it must be contractual. It must be a thing where like Netflix. Um, I don't know. It, it, I'm guessing it all comes down to contracts and payments and like, uh, you know, just like, um, uh, technical stuff that that uh, keeps it from keeps them from having to pay out the actors as much as they would otherwise. Um, you know, I also heard a theory know. that since Netflix measures its success by hours watched or minutes watched, mm. they 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 want people watch as many hours as Stranger Things. Of course, and that may actually make a lot of sense for why these episodes are way longer than they need to be because there's clearly a better, um, more efficient, and and like genuinely more creative and better cut of these episodes if you were just to trim a lot a lot of the stuff down 
But yeah, that makes a lot of sense because they do say like, oh, a billion hours watched or whatever. And by, you know, juicing the numbers on those things by having the episodes be an hour and a half or whatever, that's just going to kick those number uh, totals even higher. So do you know what shows are impeccably paced and and when they need to end and feel like complete experiences? uh star trek strange new worlds <laughs> and peacemaker yeah it's almost like uh uh companies like paramount and hbo who have experience making really good things maybe have better creative instincts than a tech company like netflix <laughs> yeah you're probably onto something there but uh so yeah I'm, I'm curious what our listeners think about um this volume of stranger things episodes because i know that sort of within our our slack group we've had several people who are like uh kind of on my team in terms of like, uh, you know, I absolutely hated the Russia subplot of the season and like a lot of the bouncing back and forth just drove me nuts. And like, I, I wasn't crazy about it overall, but then there's also been people that we work with who have been like, yeah, I was fully invested in, you know, several of these subplots. So I'm, I'm curious if this season is landing as well as season three did for, for sort of the, the wider public. And I have not done a lot of reading about people's reactions to the show um, since it came out this past weekend, but um, yeah, write into us and, and let us know. I'd love to know sort of what people are thinking, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, Jacob, it's, it's uh, I guess it's going to be one of those things where, you know, season four volume two is coming soon season five is going to be the end of it and then i think they're going to do spinoffs and all that kind of stuff so uh as for what my recommendation would be for you is maybe just wait until season five is done and then (laughs) actually maybe at this point you could probably do with like uh just watching somebody's um cut down like youtube super cut of like the best moments of the entire series when all is said and done because that would save you so much time and so much like of a of heartache of uh of just having to sit <laughs> through interminable nonsense that absolutely absolutely does not deserve the run times that it's gotten so yeah i i, I didn't mention it in my way been watching because i'm assuming chris talked about it already but um I, i've also caught up on better call saul hell of a tv show like genuinely incredible and but I call all Peacemaker and Strange New Worlds. I'm like, I don't need to bother with bad TV just because people are yeah. watching it, just because it's popular. I, I, there's enough good TV for me to be genuinely excited and to just ignore the stuff. I, look, don't tell anybody, but the beauty of of being one of the bosses at a movie website is if I don't want to watch it, I have somebody else do it for me. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, we're in that that uh, position of privilege. Um, I feel I kind of like genuinely feel bad for like uh, myself, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, 15 years ago, like the the uh, pop culture obsessive who is not actually working in this field, who is just like wants to keep up with everything because there is just a full on onslaught right now. And it is like, I think practically impossible to, uh, to watch all of this stuff. So I think your, your um, advice there is good that like, once you find something that you like, just, uh, you know, settle into your groove and don't worry about trying to keep up with everything because you used to actually be able to keep up with everything, but now there, there's no way in hell anybody could actually do it. So there's uh, a, um, a, a piece of advice I'll, I'll, I'll borrow um, from a very different field, which is uh, board game Kickstarters. There are hundreds of board game Kickstarters happening all the time. Uh, very fancy looking board games with like fancy designs and art and exclusives. But you look at them and go, this looks neat, but it's actually a good game. And they say like, back it now, you may not be able to get it. And the answer always is, if this is actually a good game, if this is actually a great game, worth of your time, then another publisher will pick it up. The, oh, the people will buy it to get a proper print run. It will live beyond Kickstarter. Mm. 
And I feel the same way about TV, which is like Peacemaker. If it's actually great, you will find it. If it's not worth your time, it's just hype. It, it'll fade and you won't find it and everybody wins. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up today. That's going to be the end of today's episode. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at slashhome.com. Of course, I'm going to link to a couple things in the show notes, uh, including Shelbyville. So hopefully people um, may be interested in, in what Jacob's doing over there. It sounds like a lot of fun. Slash Home Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.